you would, please stand with me uh, at the reading of God's Word for us this morning. We're going to focus on Mark chapter 10, verse 45, but in order to understand verse 45, we're going to back up and start in verse 32. Here is the Word of the Lord for us this morning. Verse 32, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was happening to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant." And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And here's the verse that we're going to focus on this morning. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. You may be seated. Captivity. Crown. Claim. Captivity, crown, claim. Three things you should know about our church. Three common misunderstandings about the gospel in our time and in our part of this world. Why? We eagerly take on the name of Redeemer these three points. One is captivity. Two is crown. Three is claim. Mark 10, verse 45. I think it it would be good for that to become our John 3.16. 
Mark 10, verse 45 would be a good verse to become the verse that we are using and making known, making famous here in Graham as we share the gospel. Because this verse, if we understand it, allows us to explain three things that will enable us to bring gospel clarity where God is common. Gospel clarity where God is common from Mark chapter 10, verse 45. I could phrase this sermon in this sentence. The gospel truth is that the Redeemer paid a ransom to rule the many. This is what we're going to understand from Mark 10, verse 45. The Redeemer paid a ransom to rule the many, which has to do with three Things And the first one is captive, captive. Point number one is captive. Look in verse 45, how Jesus, whenever he is thinking about the good news of him, the gospel, he is talking about ransom. That's so important to think about what that means. You may have seen movies or heard stories. You may be familiar with the concept of ransom and you know A ransom is paid to captors, to captors, to kidnappers, to slaveholders. It's paid in order to free the slave, the captive. It's it's a sum of money, a great sum of money that is given to a powerful master who is owed a great debt that the slave cannot pay. That's why he's being forced or she is being forced into servitude. Until the ransom is paid, the slave cannot be free. He's captive. So Mark 10 verse 45, don't just read that as an encouragement to serve. It is a It is an encouragement to serve. It it is saying that Jesus makes His disciples servants. But this comes in the context of enslavement. Of sinners around Jesus asking Him certain questions that prompts Him to teach them about the gospel and how they are enslaved. We see slaves to position. You see that? And James and John, as as they have just heard Jesus predict that He's about to die, This they are like the greedy little children who come alongside Grandma's deathbed. And they're wanting the, the will to be, to reflect their great desire. Oh, Grandma, you've got great wish, wish, uh, you've got great riches. Can you give me a great piece of that Riches. I just want this to be reflected in your will just before you die. Jesus says, I'm going to die. And James and John in verses 35, 36, and 37 prove as they come alongside Jesus right before He goes to His death, they're afraid. And it seems like what they're afraid of is missing out on a position in glory. 
Not just to be in glory, but to have a certain pride of place in glory. They believe that Jesus, you're going to be in glory. You're, going to, you're really the king. Can we be right next to you? So that when people know you, they know us. So that when they recognize and praise and honor you, they can see, look who's right next to them. Give me greatness. That's the request. Give me greatness. Verse 37, it says, will you grant us? That's the, that, that word is give us. Uh, I point that out to you because Jesus is going to give something else in verse 45. They're coming and saying, will you give something to us? And then he says in verse 45 what he is going to give to them. What they want is greatness. Give me greatness. And so Jesus then teaches them about what it means to serve him. And how he will serve them by freeing them from slavery. That's why whenever he thinks of what he does on the cross, he says it's a ransom. And it is a ransom for people like James and John. James and John are representing people who have some interest in Jesus because of all that he can give to them. But they're still captive. They're still captive. They're still slaves to position. Or you can think of it as having a reputation. You can think of it as, as wanting to be popular and they see Jesus is the way to get that. And they crave it so very much that they're, they're willing to endure the sneers of their, their brothers uh, around them. The other disciples who end up being indignant, hating that they asked for this sort of thing. Maybe they're upset that they, didn't, they weren't the ones to ask. Why didn't we think about this? Because they want so badly for Jesus just to say yes to their wish list. I want you to understand something about you and me and everyone you know. If we're going to be a gospel preaching church, a church of the Lord Jesus here in this community, you got to know this. When we see James and John and then we hear Jesus respond to them, He is telling us it's not just that they have some ugly, embarrassing desires in their hearts. They are slaves, Jesus says. The solution to that kind of request is a ransom and nothing short of it. I also want you to see, though, that it's not just being a slave to position that prompts Jesus to give this lesson in verse 45 that what he's going to do is pay a ransom. It's not just position that are that are the chains of captivity that prompt Jesus to promise that he's going to make this great payment just before James and John asked their bold question. Jesus was talking to a different kind of slave. Look at this in verse 17. Go back up to verse 17 and see who you may already know is the rich young ruler. This young man who had accomplished a lot. He asked the teacher a question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You hear the question. It's phrased... Similarly to what we just heard Valerie emphasize in Exodus 15, all the things that Pharaoh could accomplish. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. The rich young ruler seems to have that kind of attitude. What do I need to do? I can do it. 
Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Why don't you just do them? Then notice in verse 20, the rich young ruler says, all of these I have kept since I was a child. I've done it all. Jesus loves him. You see that? In verse 21, he loves him. And because he loves him, he tells him what he is still lacking. He sees what he's still lacking. He doesn't argue with the idea that this man is very moral and religious and has kept these commandments. He doesn't argue with that. That's not what he says he's lacking. What he's lacking is that he needs to loose the chains of money. You need to get rid of your slave master money. Sell it all. Give to the poor and follow me, he says in verse 21. But then verse 22, notice the slave to possessions. The rich young ruler, I don't think we should have, I don't think we have any grounds to say that he went away saved. He went away sorrowful. He was disheartened by what Jesus asked him to give up. Because he had great possessions. And he kept those great possessions. A slave or slaves to position. A slave to possessions. What I want you to see and understand about the gospel from Mark chapter 10. Is the shackle. For both kinds of captivity. The shackle for both kinds of captivity is pride of self. You see this in both examples. In verse 17, he asks, what can I do? In verse 20, he says, all of these things I have done. In verse 28, notice as he goes on to explain this to his disciples, Peter starts saying, we've left everything, we sold it all, we gave it all up, we have done it, we are able, isn't that exactly what verse 39, we heard from James and John, are you able? Yes, we're able. We can do it. Pride is at the heart of our captivity, of our slavery. I want you to see God's view of humanity is that everyone is a slave to themselves. Everyone sees themselves as able to be good enough to get what they think they deserve. I want you to understand God's view of you and me. Outside of Christ, we are driven by the devil. We serve sin, we are blind to God's goodness, and we are unable to believe in God or to love Him. And all the while, we think we are able. That is terrible news. That's the truth, and it's terrible news. And I also want you to understand that there is Two bits of bad news commonly preached in the Bible Belt. Two bits of bad news, the opposite of good news, that speaks into our problem and neither one of them unlocks the shackles of slavery to self. 
The first is believism. Believism. This is a gospel that's preached by many that recognizes the truth that no one is good. Jesus said that in verse 18 to the rich young ruler, right? He says, good teacher. And and Jesus says, hold on a second. No one is good but God alone. He should have heard that and said, one, I'm God. And two, you're not good enough. But believism is a gospel that preaches that no one is good enough, but that God is gracious and all you have to do is believe and receive. Now listen to me. I have preached sermons recently on doctrines that I love, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Go back and listen to those. You'll hear it every week. We are saved by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, nothing else. But it is also possible for slaves to self to hear that if I only repeat after you, Jesus will give me glory. Jesus will actually give me glory like James and John want. I'm in a great position to hear that gospel. I love myself. So no, I don't want to go to hell. And Jesus can get me out. Give me heaven. Give me money. Give me promotion. Give me freedom from these things that hurt me. Give me pregnancy. Give me love. Believism is a gimme gospel. It's no gospel. The second bit of Bible Belt news that is bad because it sets no one free is moralism. Moralism. This is the idea. It's rampant around here. I could ask you, is so-and-so a Christian? And lots of the answers I might get from even people in this room that you'll say yes, and what you're, the, the basis for you saying yes is that they're good. You see them around town and they're, they're doing the right things. They're not doing the, the wrong things. Politeness passes for salvation in a place like this. This is the you ain't getting gospel. It's not the gimme gospel. It's the you ain't getting gospel of the rich young ruler. Slavery of the rich young ruler was not seen in what he wanted Jesus to give him. His slavery was seen in what he didn't want Jesus to take from him. Listen. Listen to me. You may think you know this. You may think you've heard this. You may think you agree with this. It's not until Jesus looks at the rich young ruler and says, well, give me this. He says, you ain't taking it. You may think it's not about moralism. What can he take from you? There are people who think if I stay married, if I support the Graham Steers, I'm good in the community. If I go to Rotary, if I can just become a deacon, if I say no to drugs, not only am I a Christian, but Jesus, you ain't getting anything else. You're not getting the one thing. Jesus looks at the rich young ruler and sees the one thing you lack. I cherish that, Jesus. I'm not giving that up. It could be possessions. It's possible to look kind of religious 
and really just be living for the things of this world. It could be people. Look in verse 29, how, how he responds to Peter and says, when Peter says, we've left everything. And, and Jesus says, look, you should leave everything. You should leave every close relationship you have if they stand in the way of me and you. If, if anyone in your life is more important to you than me, you're not worthy of me. If you worship people and you say to me, you ain't getting this, you ain't getting in. It could be comfort. This is, this is it for a lot of people. Jesus says you will... You will get more than you left with persecutions. And there are some who just will not be patient with persecution. There are some who refuse to carry a cross and die to themselves. There are some who say they're Christians, but they don't care at all about other people's spiritual life. They refuse to trample on their comfort and confront someone else who might need to hear correction. There are people who hoard all kinds of things, who hoard even the good news of the gospel. Verse 22, look at the rich young ruler. He's following rules. And that is no sign of salvation. It is a clear sign of self-righteousness. It is possible... To have a set of rules that keep your riches safe. He goes away from Jesus, sad that he lost salvation, but he is clearly captive to money. Friends, be sure that you are not trusting in a gimme gospel or a you ain't getting gospel. You don't just need to be a little bit better. You don't just need to do this thing. You can't do anything. If you are confident in anything that you have done, then your confidence is in you and not in Christ. Salvation, Jesus says, is about ransom. Jesus is saving slaves who cannot save themselves out of their slavery to self. So wanting good for yourself and doing what it takes to get what you crave or to keep what you crave, whether that is If all you have to do is keep a command or say a prayer. Listen, if the only thing Jesus frees you from is guilt. Then you're not free. How many people behind bars say that they are guilty? Are they free? If your heart still cherishes anything more than the Redeemer, then you're still in your sins. We are worse off than we think. The bad news is badder than behavior or believism can answer. The first thing you have to know about us being Redeemer is the gospel we believe is that humanity is held captive to sin. And the Redeemer paid a ransom to rule the many. So the second thing I want you to see from verse 45 is a crown. See the crown in verse 45 when he calls himself the Son of Man. 
Jesus called himself the Son of Man back in verses, verse 33 as well. This is his title that he, he really likes, and it's, you need to understand all about sovereignty. There are lots of sons of men. There are lots of humans out there. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about he is the Son of Man. And if we live in a place where God is common, you need to understand that the gospel needs to be made clear. If we live in a place where God is common, where people talk about God all the time, people treat God like He's nothing new, then you need to understand, as a minister of the gospel, you need to make some things clear. I want to encourage you to talk more about Jesus than you do about God. Don't just talk about God. And let other people interpret who he is. Talk about Jesus. And, and I want you to encourage you even to start explaining who Jesus is using the titles that he gave himself. Son of man is all about authority, all about control, even supremacy. We know that because of what the Bible says about the son of man in Genesis chapter 3. There was this promise that there would be a son who would come from Adam. Man, who would take back dominion from the beasts. Remember the serpent comes to the king of earth, Adam, and he tempts Eve, and he takes the crown away from not only Adam and Eve, but from them following God. And so we're expecting a son of man to come and take dominion from beasts. And that's what Daniel saw. In Daniel chapter 7, that's what we heard about the beast. That wasn't just some weird dream that Daniel... Who, I don't even understand why you're seeing beasts and horns and dominions and, and crowns. It's because of this. The Son of Man would be presented to God. And then God would take the crowns from every sovereign in the universe. It's not in the Oval Office. It's not in North Korea. It's not in Babylon. It's not in Rome. God in Daniel 7 takes all the crowns from everyone else and gives it to the Son of Man. So when Jesus says in verse 45, even the Son of Man, He's telling us how He gets the crown above every crown. To gain the crown of glory. The Son of Man pays a ransom. You see that? Verse 45, what is the ransom? What is it that He handed over? What was the payment that He gave to the captor? What is the money that frees the slaves? Verse 45, it is His life. This is right in line with what He said in verses 33 and 34. The cost of redemption, of buying slaves out of slavery, into His service, to buying sinners out of their sin and into salvation and righteousness, to buying those who follow Satan to actually follow Jesus. They don't pay anything. He pays it all. The cost of redemption, He says, is a crown of thorns. It's a crown of thorns. Even the Son of Man. Yeah, the one who's going to get all authority. The one who's going to get the crown of glory. The greatest one of all gave more than all. 
God the Son left heaven to make Daniel chapter 7 true, to come and get his crown. How does the Son of God not have every crown already? He didn't have every crown already. He had to be presented to God in a new way. And he says, the way that the Son of Man gets the crown of glory is to take on a crown of thorns, to give his life, to die on a cross as the sinless sacrifice for sinners. He gave it all. That is the gospel, but we're not done. The Son of Man, we were told, would not just be killed, He would rise. And I want you to understand why He would rise. It's to get His crown. Pontius Pilate committed treason unknowingly. Whenever he nailed the king of the Jews, whenever he was mocking the king of the Jews on the cross, he was committing treason against Caesar. Pontius Pilate was just this pawn in this centuries-long chess match that the Lord was winning to overthrow every Caesar in all the world. Jesus dies on the cross I want you to understand Mark 10, 45, so you can make it your John 3, 16 and your evangelism here in this place. I want you to understand what he means by ransom and what he means by son of man. And he means I'm going to pay this ransom in order to get my crown. And when Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners, he was, in the words of Daniel 7, presented to the ancient of days. And when he was presented, his work was presented, his blood was presented. Is this sufficient to save the slaves? Is this sufficient to ransom those slaves out of the authority of every other ruler in this world, including Satan? Is this sufficient? The father raised him from the dead to prove it was so. The father took all of their crowns and gave him the crown of glory. By Jesus' giving, Jesus got something that he did not have before. Every crown in heaven and on earth. That is why when we become Redeemer Church, you see the crown. That's our logo. The, the crown. And what you see, if you can put that up, Jennifer, the crown. What you see is a crown of thorns. That's the bottom half. It's supposed to look like a crown of thorns. And that crown of thorns became the crown of glory. That's what the jewels are above the crown of thorns. Is that... He took the crown of thorns and the mockery on the cross in order to get the one crown. I want you to understand this because you're not liable to understand the crown. What, What I mean is we see someone who's wearing a crown. In our day, in in this country, if you see someone who's wearing a crown, you think that they're about to flame grill a whopper for you. We, we don't really have a context for crowns in our day. So I don't want you to misunderstand something that you need to understand about Jesus. If you're going to understand ransom of the Son of Man when he gave his life, he actually became the Son of Man and got all the crowns. You need to understand that when you think about a crown, you're not thinking about Halloween, about posers. I want you to understand this about yourself because the master of your soul It's not sitting on your mantle. It's not like worshiping things or idols in the the same way that people in the Old Testament were worshiping idols. Some some way that some people throughout the world today still 
bow down to their masters on their mantles. But there is an idol on the throne of your heart if Jesus is not wearing the crown of your life. And I want you to be able to see the crown over your heart. And you will see what, who is really ruling you if you ever belittle King Jesus in any way. If you make light of King Jesus in any way, beware. There is nothing about our interaction with a king that should be casual. Americans who take up pitchforks, who destroy the king, right? This, this, we probably need to hear this. We may not respect kings. Kings are not common. In fact, when you look at cultures that have kings, kings and commoners are like different classes of people. I want this to set in to us as well. And there are various ways that we can belittle the king. Jesus does not fit your passions. Jesus is not here to be a spokesman for your campaign against organized religion. I'm for Jesus, not organized religion. Well, what if Jesus set up this religion? What if he's the one who's organizing it? Jesus is not a poster boy for capitalism, Americans. He's not the one you should be calling up to defend your patriotism or your political party. Don't use the king for America. We don't have an American flag on our stage. Because we're Christians. We can celebrate Veterans Day, Independence Day. We can be grateful for the country the Lord has given us. But Jesus is not to be used for that. Jesus is not to be used for your moral convictions. The kind of person you are more comfortable being around. He's not here to romance us into feeling like we're in love. Don't use Jesus in that way. He's not just here to give you a good example of how to live. He's not just here to dispense wisdom like memes on Facebook whenever you need a pick-me-up. That's not Jesus. He's not a genie that you keep out of sight for the, the, the majority of your life until you need Him. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is the Creator of heaven and earth. That's who He is. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. He is the true Israel. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is the good shepherd. He is the anointed one of God. He is the consolation of Israel. He is the bread of life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light of the world. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the healer of the lame. He is the provider for the poor. He is the Alpha and the Omega, who was and is and is to come. He is the sovereign Savior over every people, tribe, nation, and tongue. He is the better ark from the eternal waters of wrath. He is the Passover lamb who perfects the consciences of worshipers. He builds a better house than Moses. He brings us to a better land than Joshua. He is the final prophet. He is a priest after the order of of Melchizedek. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He has eyes like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. 
and he has a robe dipped in blood. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Jesus is the one who the seraphim were crying out, holy, 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 who undid Isaiah. He is the holder of the keys to death and Hades. He is heaven's champion. His name is the word of God. His name is faithful and true, and he has a name that no one knows but himself. Jesus is the word made flesh. He is the exact imprint of the father's nature. He is the sender of the spirit, the heir to the everlasting throne of David, and he is the skull crushing conqueror of the prince of the power of the air. What Jesus is not is convenient to your calendar. He is not an accessory to your ambitions. He is not your homeboy. He is not your fortune teller. He is not common. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is not who you want him to be or who I imagine him to be. He just is. So when you think of Jesus, you think of a savior, you better be thinking of a king. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says, when he was raised from the dead. Everyone who celebrates forgiveness better concentrate on following. That's why he says, everyone among you, among my people, will be my servants. I served, you're going to serve. You celebrate God's forgiveness, you better concentrate on following the king. That's why he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now you teach them to obey everything I've commanded them. There is no such thing as a two-stage salvation. Listen to me. There is no such thing as Jesus being your Savior, and then a few years later, after you had kids, He became your Lord. No such thing. He is either your Lord or He is your judge. Jesus says the Son of Man would be killed on a cross, and then He would rise and get a crown, and that has already happened. He already has the crown. Therefore, He is not your Savior until He is your King. Because He saves us from what? From living like He's not King. He saves you from your throne that you've imagined that you are on. From the riches that you were hoarding away from Him. From the ambitions that you abused. And He loves sinners. He loves sinners. Not just the rich young ruler who he looks at and loves. What we heard from Exodus 15 was, In your steadfast love you have redeemed us. In your steadfast love you have redeemed us. Whenever the Jews were celebrating Passover, that event that we heard about earlier where where God rescued Israel from Pharaoh and slavery, whenever they did that, take note that they always were reading the Song of Songs. Isn't that interesting? Whenever they had their celebration and their party about how God had saved them from slavery, they sang a song about marriage. Because they saw that when God pays a ransom for us, that is the most extravagant expression of love there could ever be. So if you're here and you don't know the King, Know that He is a King of love. And you should be forgiven by His love. He laid down His life for sinners. If you will 
turn from your sins and trust in him, he will love you and bring you into his home. But you need to understand that those who are forgiven follow. The Redeemer paid a ransom to rule the many. Point number three, and then we'll be done. Claim. Point number three is claim. Captive, crown, and claim. Make no mistake, when you look at Mark 10, verse 45, you need to know that Jesus got what he paid for. He paid a ransom to claim captives. He redeems so that he might rule. Being a Christian is not just about naming Jesus. It's about Him claiming you. Being a Christian is not just about you naming Jesus in some ritual. And and so it may not be helpful just to ask the question, are you a Christian? Because people hear that and they think, well, do I name the name of Jesus? It may be more helpful to say, has Christ claimed you? Has Jesus gone to the slave block? You were there. Did he single you out among the slaves? Did he lay down his payment for your life? And did he bring you home? Are the shackles of your heart gone? What were those shackles? What were you enslaved to? What did you need to be saved from? Do you even know the answers to those questions? Are you still resisting those gods? What he does for us in verses 43 and 44 is he makes us into servants. He makes those who are slaves to self and position and possessions and pride and makes them a slave to all, serving all as we serve them. We are Redeemer, which means as a church, the first thing we need to keep close in our hearts about Who we are as a church is we are bought. We are bought. We belong. We belong to the one who claimed us. So another question we could ask is the same question that was asked in a terrible point in our history as a country. Whenever someone saw an African-American person walking around free without shackles or a master, they would ask him the question, where are your freedom papers? Do you have any right walking around like you're free? The rich young ruler claimed to belong to the Lord. He claimed to belong to the Lord. Maybe you should stop asking people just to claim that they belong to the Lord. Instead, maybe we can ask, where is the evidence of your emancipation? The redeemed surrender. This is what Mark 10, 45 teaches us. The redeemed, the ransom, surrender. We surrender our pride. We surrender our demands of the Lord Jesus. We are not the king. We are now his slaves. We've left our claims with the one who wears the crown. He claimed us. So, Jesus, I trust you to control possessions and position. You can distribute those things however you think is fit. 
You tell me what to do with my possessions. You put me in a position. The redeemed surrender those things because they've been claimed. And the redeemed serve. They don't just surrender, but then they serve. That is our reward. I want you to see this is a reward. What reward are you looking for? Position? Possessions? Your reward is that you got ransomed to serve. You get to serve the one who paid. You get to serve him. Don't serve your possessions. Don't structure your life around what you can buy or things that you can keep for yourself or your family or pass on or whatever. Don't serve those things. Don't serve position. Don't find your contentment in being a great friend. Don't find your contentment in being a great Bible teacher or being a great evangelist. Don't find your worth in getting people to like you or getting moms to envy what a great job you're doing as a mom or or getting students to look up to you. None of that. Don't serve those things. Serve Him. Serve Him. Serve the King. It may not get you possessions, but you get to serve Him. It, it may not get you a position, but you get whatever position you're in to serve Him. Serve Him in that position. People may not think that we are impressive, but we're serving Him who bought us with blood, who claimed us as His own, and that is enough. The Redeemer paid a ransom to rule the many. Oh God, we pray you would make us a faithful people. Make us a people who take this wonderful news of the gospel and we bring clarity to the king and that more people would serve him. Lord, make us content to serve him in everything, no matter what that brings us in life. While always believing that we've not left a single thing, we've not lost a single thing without gaining far more and gaining Him. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.